Say the Toronto Raptors had three games. One was away against a playoff chasing Miami side. One was at home to a LeBron led LA Lakers. And one was to a tanking Cleveland. Guess which two the Raptors won. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And that's my cue to say welcome back to Balling in the Six. This is your Toronto Raptors podcast straight out of London. Without further ado, let's get straight into it. So let's start with the elephant in the room. It is bad news. It's 126 to 101 loss against a Cleveland Cavaliers. Now I know what you're thinking. If you went into a coma last year, you were cryogenically frozen for a year, you'd maybe come back and say, oh, that's fine. You know, the Cavs have Raptor, the Raptors number. However, they are a young, talented, but tanking side without their key player, LeBron James. The one veteran who does regularly now get minutes for them after being injured for much of the season is Kevin Love. He was perhaps one of the biggest architects of a quite excellent Cleveland performance. Now, I'm not saying the Raptors played well and were just outmatched in the night. It was an overall subpar performance and we'll go into the Raptors later, but a 16.18 rebound game from Kevin Love to add to some excellent defense on the likes of Kawhi Leonard really led a young Cleveland team to this W. Then you had, I mean, you had all the Cleveland starting five in double figures. You had Seddy Osman, who's played extremely well this season and who I think is one to watch out for as much as uh, Reddit NBA does as well. And you have Colin Sexton. He struggled at the start of the season. Of course, he was an eighth pick in the draft. He was the pick that the Cavs infamously got in that Isaiah Thomas trade, you know, trading away Kyrie Irving, and of course they waived Isaiah, so this is essentially what they got for Kyrie. He started the season quite poorly, however, he has really stepped it up over the last two months. In this game, we saw his full range of ability, whether it be defense, whether it be playmaking, most importantly, efficiency and point scoring. He shot 4 from 7 from beyond the arc, 10 of 18 from the field, and he dropped 28. We also had Jordan Clarkson dropping 14 off the bench. He's a Essentially, what happened this game was all the Cavs players who have potential showed their potential in one game and ended up embarrassing the Raptors in Toronto itself. Now, I wouldn't say that this is a devastating loss, and as we can see by the Lakers game, which we'll go into, it didn't go any way to stopping momentum. But when you start your strongest team, you know, don't forget the Raptors had Lowry, Leonard, and Gasol, Danny Green, and Siakam as the starting five. You do expect to be putting sides like this away. However, and I'm not going to blame the bench for this, Danny Green didn't get any open shots. He shot one from three. Now, you normally see a Danny Green line something like five from eight, five from ten, but he didn't get open for any shots. You saw Gasol, Gasol struggled a bit, and that was, you know, thanks to the likes of Ante Zizic and Kevin Love, who, uh, who were excellent as a big man for Cleveland. He excelled again against the Lakers, so there's nothing too much to be worried about there. But he struggled at center. And of course, I mean, 
what we did see and what is the elephant in the room of the elephant in the room is Serge Ibaka completely losing it with Marquise Chris. Now, the full context still hasn't come out yet. However, it's been known that Marquise Chris said something inflammatory to Ibaka. But as a veteran, I mean, I would I would expect a, a veteran to be baiting a younger player into getting completely, you can call it getting sent off, really, into violent conduct. But this was the opposite. This was a young, very young player in Marquise Chris baiting Serge Ibaka. And we know Ibaka likes to get into his fights. I was personally, I personally viewed one of these, his famous one against Robin Lopez, which actually helped the team break their losing streak against the Bulls a couple of years ago. But this one was just pointless. This one completely killed any chance the Raptors had of a comeback. And overall, it was a deserved loss. Before that, however, there was some good news. And after that, there was some good news. Let's start chronologically. Raptors dispatch the Heat. The Heat, of course, are very likely to be the team that the Raptors do end up facing if we manage to catch up to the Bucks. The Heat in prime position for 8th seed at the moment. And we've shown that we can go to the Heat, a very physical team, a very talented team in terms of if one of them gets hot, then the team will be rocking. And we didn't see that this game. We saw... The top points scorer was Adebayo with 19 for the Heat. And we didn't see too much off the bench except for Dwayne Wade, who, as expected, is putting in shifts as he comes to his end. And just on a personal note, on an editorial note, someone like Dwayne Wade deserves his last shift in the playoffs. If we don't see either one of LeBron or Wade in the playoffs, I think it will be a little bit of a travesty unless the Raptors win the whole thing, of course. But for sentimental reasons... I sort of hope the Heat get into the playoffs and don't face us in the first round. But Wade has a good, nice seven-game series and leaves his career on a high because he does deserve it. Now, of course, this game beforehand was efficiency throughout the side. You saw Lowry lead his team with a double-double. He went 24 with 10 assists, 7 rebounds... 6 from 11 from behind the arc. He was, of course, ably supported by the likes of Siakam. What else would you expect? And interestingly, we saw, uh, with no Kawhi, we saw a start for Patrick McCaw, who, as we've said, has been more of a player who passes the eye test rather than the stats test. He doesn't tend to score too many, doesn't tend to shoot too well, but here he hit double figures. I think that's the first time in his Raptors career he did that. 3 from 3 from beyond the arc and uh, shot a free throw to finish it off. As well as playing his regular elite defense, he had the second highest plus minus in the team with plus 22. And he has, over the last couple of months, shown himself to be, I think, one of Masai's shrewder signings. I think he's a better signing than Jeremy Lin. Lin, of course, is struggling a little bit with confidence at the moment. He's getting there, but I'm not sure if he'll be there in time for playoffs. But McCaw will prove to be, I think, very crucial against some of the more sly, subtle, offensive players in the playoffs. Last night, again, it was a... I mean, I've been calling all these performances efficient because there's no other way to describe them. It was just an example of a top team putting away an underperforming team, like we've seen with the Raptors so many times before. 
LeBron threatened to, you know, make the city his again. You know, we all remember LeBronto. And a couple of times in the game, he hit those crazy turnaround fadeaways. And I was scared that he was going to go in some kind of streak, especially as OG was, again, as he was in the playoffs last year. He was defending him again. He still dropped 29 in 32 minutes. He shot over 50% from the field. Uh, he got a cover, four rebounds, six assists, but it was not enough to inspire quite, you know, it's quite a poor Lakers side. And we've discussed it before. And with the exception of Rondo, sometimes Bullock, and, well, now Alex Caruso off the bench is proving to be a little bit of a revelation. But let's follow that as the season, as the season progresses. Without the likes of Lonzo and Ingram, there is just no hope for this Lakers side. And the Raptors took full advantage of that. And one player who it was important that he did that, and it was important that he contributed and chalked up a W, was Kawhi Leonard. Of course, with the Lakers one of Leonard's potential destinations for this summer, it's important that we swept them. I know it's only two games against them, but we won both of them pretty comfortably. And Kawhi, it's important for him to see that the Lakers are in a mess. I know they've got LeBron, I know they've got a bright young talent core coming through, but why would he want to leave a side with so much depth? I mean, if you look at the Raptors roster, you look at the starting lineup, you look at 1-9, to nine, it's just fantastic. You've got the likes of Gasol, Jeremy Lin, off the bench, McCaw off the bench. Which other side has that? If you look at the Lakers, I mean... You you just signed Andre Ingram that's, and Mike Muscala. That's who you've got off the bench. Why would he swap franchise in the summer? Of course, we know it all depends on the Raptors' playoff performance. But I think this win will go some way to opening further Kawhi's eyes if they weren't open already. I did want to mention, finally, Norman Powell's great performance in this game. He's had quite a subtle resurgence this season after struggling, not only struggling for form, but struggling for minutes with so much depth in the side. But he dropped 20 today, he got 8 rebounds, and he shot a good percentage from the field. Overall, he was a real threat. He hustled on defense, as we know he always does. And I think this is time for him to step up his game and fight for those playoff minutes because he's fighting with so many players for those three or so spots off the bench which do get somewhat significant minutes come playoff time. And he's got the rest of the regular season to prove himself. That's it. We only had three games this week since the last episode. So we're going to go straight into the rest of the NBA and our special feature with our special correspondent. So, welcome back. Straight from practice, it's D2 basketball player Varal. Varal, the Lakers, have suffered another couple of losses this week. What are their chances like for the playoffs? Are they well and truly buried? I think not only are they buried, Kamel, the the graveyard is full. It's full of old, washed-up players. John Rondo, he should be out of the league next Sorry, season. Sorry, why? I thought Rondo has been quite good this season. Maybe I'm just biased because I like a pass-first point guard, but I feel he's put up some solid stats this season. He, he has, but he, I just like I struggle really to see him fitting in in the long-term future. And when it comes to the Lakers, I mean. 
and LeBron's on minute, minutes restrictions. They're so far behind everyone else. In the they are 7.5 games behind the playoffs right now. And I, mean, I think they've got 15 games to make that up. Even if LeBron finally enters playoff mode, which, you know, it's, it's, he's taking his time. Um, I just, it's, it's just, I think, statistically possible, but, you know, I don't think the Spurs and the Clippers, they're, they're going to drop that many games. So. Yeah, of course, you've got um, Spurs, Clippers, and then you've got also the Kings and the Timberwolves to compete with. The Kings have lost a little bit of momentum. Uh, they lost to the Boston Celtics last night. The Timberwolves aren't looking too good either. They have a 32-37. They're only one game ahead of the Lakers. So... What I think do you it, see? It, we don't even need to talk about this, I feel. I, we don't, but think... I, th- I do think the team that has LeBron James, and I said this in the first part of the podcast, if either LeBron or Dwayne Wade, you know, one of those two at least has to make the playoffs. Or for me, it's not a playoffs. It shows that the game has completely moved on from those two players, which is a real shame because they still both have something to give. I know it's Wade's last season. But he's playing well, he has something to give. And of course, LeBron is still the best player in the league. And of course, by by nature, best player in the world. Yesterday, he put up 29. He was shooting impossible fadeaways over OG and Anubi. And he was still looking good. Uh, I do think they're an important team to talk about, which is why all the networks, including us, keep talking about it. One question I have for you is, what's their end of season plan. If you're Magic Johnson, do you say lose all the games you can, try and get the biggest pick, or do you salvage some pride for a hungry Lakers fan base? I mean, if we're looking at maybe six games ago, seven games ago, even when they had a slim chance of playoffs, I think there you're looking for your young core to develop and to show enough potential where they're not all going to be on the trading block, but now they're in a position where clearly that plan has failed. A big part of that, um, I believe, is to do with Lonzo Ball and is, you know, is absolutely, un- well, it's probably not even underrated more, but his uh, defense, um, but the Lakers' East defense has gone from, I think, like around nine tenths in the league and it's completely plummeted since he's been out of the, uh, since he's been out of the side. But um, I think everyone's on the chopping block for AD now. Um, even if even if uh, Kuzma, if they want to Kuzma, I, I think he's he they're happy to part ways with him. So um, look to see the Brow and LeBron next year. I think that it's it's going to happen. I, I don't see um, the Celtics winning that. I mean, crazy. and of course here in Toronto, uh, we do hope that it happens, just because then that's much less space for Kawhi to move into which would be that's, a nice thing. Um, so, yeah, and, and that also means that um, the, if the Celtics are the only really, you know, are the realistic option, so it keeps the East weak as well that way. Yeah, and to be fair, I don't think any Toronto fan is too bothered about Boston, at least this season. Of course, I'll probably come to regret that come the second round, but for <laughs> now they're looking pretty poor and I'm not really, we're not really too bothered about them, I think. Their their luck has run out, but we can talk them talk about them another episode. Yeah, um, yeah. I think we need to give credit to one team that really has just been underrated throughout the season, 
when Victor Oladipo went down, actually incidentally against Toronto, he went down, unfortunately, he was ruled out for the season. He's had surgery. We thought the Pacers were done for. They were fourth at the time that he went down. They're now third. And they have been playing out their skins. They've been playing as a team. What have you seen of the Pacers this season? And do you rate their chances from playoffs? They're they're an eerily consistent team. I mean, one of the one of the things when you have like a a team that's really plays for their manager and you know is um is really focused on team ball. You see, you see um, players not having like particularly bad slumps. You don't have to rely on say James Harden shooting lights out from three every night. Um, even when the Pacers lose, like. For, for the start, they're an absolute force at home. Anyone going to the Pacers arena, the crowd is always behind the team. They're almost unstoppable at home. But even away, when, when they lose, the Pacers don't tend to get blown out. They're an incredibly fiercely competitive team. And I think... I hate to correct you there, but their last two losses were 106-89 to Philly and 117-98 to the Bucks. However, I will take your point. The losses before that were very competitive. I'm just pointing out the last two losses to the be- some of the best in the East. Yeah, I think that's... I, I did realise that. I, was, I, I guess you can't really discount those losses, but um, yeah, they're... Yeah, they're, 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 bu- they're bucks to the trend, if you're part of yeah, the pun. Yeah, yeah. very good, very good. Uh, who would you say had been the standout player in that team during this period? Well, I think there's a couple you can point out. I think the signing of Wesley Matthews was an extremely shrewd one. They picked him up after the Knicks waived him, having acquired him in the famous Porzingis trade with Dallas. The Pacers were one of the only teams in for him. They picked him up, and since then, he's played extremely well. He's averaged 33 minutes a game, uh, shot 13 points a game. He's shooting a decent clip from the field. And, uh, of course, he hit a great game winner. He hit a put-back game winner last night against OKC, uh, which showing he can do it in the clutch. Very much upset me that. Very much upset me. Of course, Raul, famous just NBA fan who tends towards whichever Western team is doing well at the time. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, though, that they trusted Wes in the clutch there without uh, Oladipo, a guy who's just like come to the team after the trade. It's, it really shows how much faith they have in him. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you've got to remember, it's, a, it's still a very young team. And I think, uh, is it Nate McMillan who coaches him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's just done a fantastic job. And I haven't seen his name yeah. thrown around too much, but I think oh, he needs to get a lot of credit thrown to him. Uh, yeah, of course, just, yeah. just, just for reference, and I don't think anyone would guess this, but the Pacers sit in third, 44 and 25. And they're just looking great at the moment. You it defies expect, like, all logic. It defies all logic. When you, yeah, when you talk about the top four in the East, usually you're talking about Bucks, Raptors, 76ers, and Celtics. The Pacers aren't yeah. really, it, shouldn't be in that equation. The, but the minor broadcasters such as uh, ESPN and like the major broadcasters such as ourselves, we do tend to focus maybe too much on the top four. And um, it, it's, it's good that, you know, we're shedding some light on them. I, I think... After this episode, perhaps um, you might start to see some of the minor networks pick the story up. So, well, um, we are going to see actually the major networks pick them up because do you want to guess the next eight teams? Sorry, seven teams that 
the Pacers play. And I think that this will either expose them as frauds or can really cement them as a force come playoff time. Wait, so I thought their strength of schedule was pretty good, or is it not? Well, um, their next seven games, let me tell you, away to Denver. Horrible game. Okay. Then they're away to Portland. Mm -hmm. Then they're at the Clippers. Then they're at Golden State. Then, Then they host Denver. Then they go to Oklahoma City. And then they go to Boston. And then their schedule oh clears up nicely. God. But oh those next God. seven games are season-defining for the Pacers and oh. will make or break them going into the playoffs. Goodness. I mean, that's, there's the infamous San Antonio road trip that they have every year, but that, that is a... That's a horrible one. Oh, I mean, that's, that's a really horrible the, one. That's across the country as well. And without your best fit, I... I mean, I think they'd be lucky to get two wins there. I think I they'd mean, take two wins right now. I think if you offered yeah. a couple of wins from those, I think he'd say, yep, buy your hand off, I'll do that. Yeah, 100%. Because, of course, the, um, right now they'd be playing the Nets, which is a fairly good matchup for them. And even if they fall a little further, they'll face, they'll face Boston and uh, all the 76ers. So I don't, think, I don't think they care much who they play come playoffs. I think, obviously, mm-hmm. they, prefer, they prefer the Nets. But I think... The paces match up pretty well against those three sides. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to go straight now into our feature of the week. Uh, Brawl, I'll let you lead this one off. It's quite an important one, especially mm. with the Russian athletes controversy mm-hmm. coming into view, but I'll let you expand. Yeah, so to give this some backstory, um, so Kamel's been going to the gym for about three to four years now. Thank you. And when he when he first started going, you know, he saw those fast gains. You know, he's a very skinny, slim boy when he first started. Very thin, very thin. Extremely so. Um, he looked malnourished. He looked unhealthy. Nothing and but skin and bone. Literally, not even bone. There we go. For six months, he, you know, when you first start at the gym, you start to see quite rapid gains. And he thought he could sustain that. He didn't understand how much, you know, grind and struggle was involved. So he found out about another option, right? It's uh, the I did. The I did. It's the needle in the butt. And ever since then, if you follow this boy on uh, Facebook, on Instagram, like um, he's looking meaty. And anyone who thinks that's authentic, well, um, I think you need to grow up. Um, and segueing into our topic. Well, the interesting thing with that is the the needle in the butt thing. I found you could actually put some steroids in there. Before, you know, before I was just doing it for fun. Oh, interesting, interesting. Some people are into it. I, I personally don't feel see the thrill there. But um, going going into this segment, so um, this is we're going to talk about you know the regulations when it comes to drug testing in the NBA and. Um, a big narrative is really the laxity um, with, with the drug testing. Um, Kamal, you did say you did some reading on it. Um, I'd, if you wanted to... Uh, talk about yes, what you, so, uh, um, so WADA, of course, is the world anti-doping uh, organization um, who, recently came, who recently came to prominence when you know, uh, their actions kind of banned all the Russian athletes for taking performance-enhancing drugs. 
And the yeah. controversy around this has been that the NBA is not tested enough. And we see about we see people we see players grow over the off season and we people think surely they must take steroids. And if we look at WADA Director General David Howard Howman's uh, twenty fifteen statement, um right. when he basically said the NBA is has gaps in their testing yep. and it's not tested effectively enough. Follow on this from uh, former coach George Carl. Uh, yeah, that was a big story. It was that. a big story. Um, let me just read you a little bit of his uh, a little bit of his book. Um, I'm talking about performance enhancing drugs like steroids, human growth hormone, and so on. It's obvious some of our players are doping. How are some guys getting older yet thinner and fitter? How are they recovering from injury so fast? Why the hell are they going to Germany in the off season? I doubt it's for the sauerkraut. <laughs> so that's such that's, a classic George Carlwell. I mean, that's him accusing some of his own players like Melo and J.R. Smith. Um, Raul, have you yep. seen any, have you seen, if we look back to last summer, do you see any rookies uh, bulk up a little bit? Um, so I think uh, one big one that I personally, like it really was brought to my attention was Victor Oladipo. Um, so before joining Indiana, do you not speak ill of the dead, please. Let, let me let me clarify because he took like a, a before and after photo during that summer, and he claimed that you know he wasn't really taking it seriously enough, like the fitness side of it, blah blah blah. He wasn't working hard enough. That could certainly certainly be true. He has definitely become a more skillful player since joining Indiana, but um. In the span of three months, if you if you really look at how his physique has changed, oh my was, goodness! Um, are you talking about him in twenty seventeen? Because uh, when when you look it up on Google, his transformation yeah. from May to June twenty seventeen is quite phenomenal. Yeah. So in the space of a month, even. Yeah, less than a month, three weeks. Wow. Okay. Fair enough. I said three months. So there I mean, and and of course that that was just his first transformation. Obviously, we've seen his second transformation. Yeah, the final four last yeah. season. Yeah, he could yeah. Uh, he could grow even further. Oh man, he's he's going to become seven foot by the end of it. But um, so I think uh, to give a little also a little bit more background to this. So the current system in the NBA is to have four regular season tests and to have two off season tests. And the two off-season tests are like a fairly new addition. But um, talking about first the laxity of the tests themselves, so the regular season test, it's done by an independent um, body, which, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good step. It's not the NBA themselves conducting the test. However, typically he will come in, the guy doing the testing, and he'll go and speak to the trainer and he'll say, you have a list of, say, four or five players, and you'll say, right, we're going to test him, 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 and him. And the thing is, obviously, the trainer has a lot of loyalty towards his players. And so even then, he can say, um, he can organize the list or the order in which these players are tested. So he can be like, oh, okay, this guy's free, or this guy's busy at the moment. Let's test him. And the reason why that's important is because uh, of something called microdosing which uh, cyclists found out was a very effective way of actually um, escaping or like, you know, not the, for the drugs not to show during, in these tests. And that is when you 
just do very small amounts of whether it's human growth hormone or testosterone and it actually disappears from your system overnight so even if say uh, you're tested eight hours after you've done it at like say 10 p.m it's going to be completely out of your system and the only effective way to tackle that is to literally have a random drug test at any given time you know they could come for them to be able to come at say two in the morning and test you which is of course what um olympic athletes have to go through i mean absolutely i was recently i was recently at a uh, event for um gb rowing and our interviews with the athletes were delayed because wada just turned up randomly no one knew they were going to turn up they turned up took all the players took all the rowers out tested them straight that's what's needed in the NBA. You need strict regulations. In Absolutely. Olympic, for um, uh, track and field athletes, as far as I know, they need to make themselves available at least one hour a day at home so inspectors could turn up on any given day between exactly. those times. Yeah. And um, I know, I imagine you must have dashed to the toilet and got somebody else's urine as well when they turned up. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I I store some just just in case they uh, just in case they turn up at the door. Just in case they do um, and I expected uh, tested the journalist as well. Yeah, <laughs> I expect um, as a um, as your NBA aspirations, you have um, dabbled in uh, PEDs. Am I right? Or uh, no, 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 you no. declined to answer the question? I know we're doing this segment, but um, uh, I'm trying to bring this to light because. You know, by the time I get there, hopefully I would have, you know, finished cycling and everything. So it's not going to be an issue for me then. Um, going back to actually um, why uh, the more rigorous tests haven't come in, the Players Association, the Players Union, actually, as you can imagine, they are very, very strongly um, criticised and push back on any measure like increasing the amount of um, tests because of course tests they are invasive and they um, if you're having off-season tests they you may have to make yourself available uh, during your holiday or whatever it may be so the players association like this is not just in the NBA but in the even in the um, NFL and the MLB they they have a they will have a lot of power when it comes to this when it comes to um, on what terms they want to be tested. And so, yeah, I think an independent body like WADA, who are more strict because the current independent body isn't rigorous enough, I think it really does need, like you said, um, Olympic-style testing. And finally, just to say who I think is probably the most obvious athlete when it comes to uh, usage, it's LeBron James. Are we are we straying into the extenses of libel here? Uh, the, the thing is, Camille. The thing is, Camille. Um, he knows he's doing HGH, right? So I'm not commenting. I'm not in being involved in this claim, sir. <laughs> okay, but um, look. If LeBron, if by some sort of miracle, he's so bored, he's he's scrolling down on the anchor podcast relating to basketball. Maybe he gets to page eight, page nine, stumbles upon ours, 
episode. <laughs> I don't know, by, by our love hand, maybe he comes upon this episode. and I, If that happens, I'm willing to deal with the consequences, but um, and that would be probably getting dunked on. But um, I don't know, what do you think about that? Why, why do you think I, I would say he's like the biggest culprit? I just think he's a genetic freak of nature who combines that with ultimate talent, agility, and, and a, a world-class dedication. I don't, I don't see why he necessarily has to be on HGH when he could just be in the gym. I mean, can we go back to... So, we know players... We're not saying players... And I hope you're not saying that players cannot bulk over a summer. A player with... An, well, let's firstly have it. These players have fantastic athletic bases and athletic potential. They have the best trainers, the best nutrition, and their jobs are to get more physically fit. As a whole, they can undergo a significant physical transformation over the course of the summer. We're not saying it's going to be like Oladipo did, but if a player, you know, if a player has a few couple of inches to his arms, a, a la, you know, Steph Curry uh, this summer, then I'm not going to say, oh, he's on PEDs. I'm going to say he's going to, he's worked hard. And that's what I feel LeBron James has done just all his life. That's how he's kept his longevity. That's how he's maintained his ability. And even, you know, no one knows if he's in his prime at 33 yet, which is crazy. So, no, I will not be involved in this claim. And I still fully back LeBron James as a natural athlete because otherwise all my imagery of the NBA will be shattered. On another note, we also must recognize that the NBA may not have an interest if there is usage of PEDs and HGH by the best players, the NBA yeah. might not necessarily have an interest in stopping that because, of course, at the end of the day, it's yeah. a business. They want to see yeah. the best players pulling off more moves. Um, sorry, that was not technical jargon at all. They want to see the best players do what they do best. And if if they uh, the old uh, drugs help them, then... Yeah. I'm not sure they'll have a special interest in strengthening their drug testing regulations. Okay, I thought the point you were making there is if these star players had actually tested positive uh, for any of these substances, that it would be in their interest to actually not disclose this information. But yep, that's true as well. I said to you, you're actually making the argument that um, you think with the current level of play, if that is attributable to these performance-enhancing drugs, you would actually back like a, a further use of these drugs if they allow them to play at this level? No, I'm saying the, the NBA, I'm talking Adam Silver and co may yeah. have an interest in doing it. I'm fully against yeah. it as I am in every sport. Oh, but okay. okay. It's, it's possible that Adam Silver is willing, I mean when the Carl George claims came out Adam Silver said, he'll look into it but he has no reason to believe anyone is using it. I don't know what he okay. based that on. And just maybe the NBA hierarchy has a, you know, not to delve into conspiracies too much here, but there's a possibility yeah. the NBA hierarchy has an interest in Look. looking the other way when it comes to these things. Yeah. Okay. These are, I'm going to give some facts of, um, these were released in some statements, I think by the former medical head of the NBA. This was circa either 2005 or 2008. So. The first statement was one that was absolutely ridiculous to me. The, the guy says, oh, um, in the sport of basketball, it relies on agility and dexterity and explosiveness. 
none of which can really be significantly advanced with performance-enhancing drugs, which is... I did three years of medicine, and I did it at a very, very poor standard. I got two two in my first year. <laughs> I can tell you that is just complete. Uh, this is a PG show. That that's not right. That that's not true at all. Um, of course, um, if you've got, you know, um, if you can jump high, if you can accelerate faster, that's going to be a huge advantage in the NBA. Um, that's so that statement already that raised a red flag for me. I was like okay, that doesn't make much sense. However, in 2005, I think there were 20 to 25 adverse tests, and the NBA only chose to release three of those tests publicly. And they didn't particularly give reasons to why they didn't release the others. Uh, I think one was like, um, there's a particular PD that's in um, some cold medicine, which... NBA players supposedly uh, regularly take, and so those could have be those could be overlooked as so as not to tarnish that player's reputation. However, still the numbers don't add up. The second piece of I would say evidence is the only players that historically have ever been flagged up have been those fringe players. I guess like the highest caliber player you could say has been flagged up is bloody Hedo Turkoglu. And as proud oh, as yeah, Turk that guy. I, am, I know who he is. As proud as a Turk as I am, like he, he's not he's not exactly a star athlete by any stretch of the imagination. So if somebody who has that sort of bad bod physique, um okay, I'm probably exaggerating that, but somebody with that physique is taking PEDs, I can only imagine what you know, these absolute stack houses like Dwight Howard are on, you know? Like you can Maybe say, Dwight oh, Howard yeah. just does a lot of shoulder raises. Oh, I just, I just don't know. He, he seems like such a lazy player, so I just find it so hard to to see that he would be like completely focused in the gym when he doesn't even bother working on like post moves. Like it just doesn't add up for me. You know, this has been a fascinating conversation, and I don't think there's anything we should do more, but leave it to the listener to decide. Yes, I think maybe. Uh, for the listener, I would say to look up some evidence, maybe against some of these star players, um, and look at the actual effects of, that, for example, HGH, um, which like does concern like more fast twitch muscle, um, faster recovery times because you basically you heal better from bone fractures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So definitely, um, instead of just listening to me give you fake news, definitely do your own research. It's a big conspiracy at the top. Look into it before Adam Silver shoots us both. That's <laughs> all from Balling in the Six. Medical correspondent Voral, thank you for appearing. We'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. Enjoy your week, people.